This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Director for the Fresno Association of Realtors, filling in for your host, Don Scordino, on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is presented by the Fresno Association of Realtors, and our goal is to provide our listeners with the real facts and real stats about our local market. Uh, lucky today to have uh, Fresno County Supervisor Nathan Magsig with us, and also Brian Dominguez, President-elect of the Fresno Association of Realtors, local broker, um, and I would call you a community leader. Welcome both. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Kim. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so uh, Supervisor Magzig really doesn't need a whole lot of uh, introduction. I think you all know um, he's no stranger to Welcome Home Radio and huge realtor champion. Um, been involved, gosh, more than 20 years for sure. Um, working as a youth pastor, legislative staff member for the California Assembly, executive director of a nonprofit affordable housing developer, energy director, and RME for Fresno EOC. Um, He served on the Clovis City Council for more than 16 years um, and has the pleasure to represent his constituents as mayor twice. I could go on and on and on. You can't go anywhere in Fresno or Clovis and not run into him. Um, And so welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I love having an opportunity just to talk about not only real estate, but things that are going on here in Fresno County, the state, and nation. Awesome. Well, before we get into it and uh, have a, a, a discussion that I'm really, really looking forward to with Supervisor Magsig, I'm going to turn it over to Brian for a minute to do a quick market update. Sure. Happy to. So anybody that's been around the real estate market lately has seen it's been a wild ride and Every time we thought, um, you know, we may start to see a shift, we just had another good year. And so our latest statistics um, for the county show that there's existing existing home sales are at 947. So we have extremely low inventory. That's up just a little bit, 4% over uh, last year. The existing single family median price in Fresno County right now is 386,000, which is up uh, almost 19% from last year. So really strong appreciation this year. Active, I'm sorry, existing single family homes sold was 947. There's currently 1,028 active listings. So, sold versus active, meaning active is what's currently for sale and on the market, which is up uh, almost 7% from last year. Our days on market is extremely short. It doesn't take long to sell a house. It's been a seller's market for quite some time. We're looking at the median days on market right now at only nine. And uh, sellers are getting 100% of their ask price on average. So, Homes that are being put up for sale are typically getting what they're asking. Uh, Percentage of active listings with reduced pricing, so we don't see that very often, but we're looking at just over 24% of uh, listings with reduced pricing. So still a very strong seller's market and a very uh, low supply of inventory for sure. Great. Thank you, Brian. So we're seeing interest rates uh, rising the highest level in two years. How, you know, as a practitioner, you're out there, how do you see that? You know, that's true. We've had that conversation about rising interest rates for quite a while. And and the Fed, we knew was in 2022 was going to be the year that that process started. Um, we weren't quite expecting it in the first quarter. So that came up a little bit faster than, than we realized uh, or that we had hoped for. But, you know, I think with inflation and, and what's happening uh, in the market, that that was kind of a natural uh, progression in what was going to happen. So the hopefully the, the increases won't be too substantial at one time, that they'll kind of gradually 
increase over time. You know, we've been very spoiled with rates for, for quite a while. Uh, to go from 2.5 to 3.5 feels like a big jump, but if you look at historical trends, it's still a pretty good rate. Yeah, it's really not. And, you know, looking across the United States, you still see, um, you know, with December and the seasonal, uh, you know, slowdown, uh, consumers are still feeling confident. Yeah, know? that's a good point, Kim. The the seasonal slowdown, you know, we talk, we have an inventory problem. So obviously when you have less homes to sell, there's less uh, number, the numbers go down as well. But, you know, we just coming out of the holidays, it's natural to have a slowdown in the real estate market when people start getting busy with Thanksgiving and Christmas and right. New Year's. So. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, so, Supervisor Magsig, I see you've got a stack of books in front of you, always reading, always learning. What, what, what do we got? Well, Kim, I, uh, this week I've been reading three different books. Uh, one of them is uh, a book about Ulysses S. Grant by Ron Chernow. And also another one I've been uh, thumbing through, again, is a book by Eric Metaxas called If You Can Keep It. And finally, uh, a book that was given to me by our chief administrative officer uh, at the county. It's by uh, author Steve Pemberton, and it's called A Chance in the World. I, I'm always reading different books, and these are three that I'm reading uh, this particular week. But I've actually been touched by all three. And before this uh, show uh, came on air, I was talking to you a little bit about um, uh, A Chance in the World and how I was reading this book. And how Steve, it's about the author, Steve Pemberton, growing up in foster homes and how he had an identity crisis as a young man, as a boy, and uh, it's his journey about his, and his life story about trying to find um, where he came from, who his parents were, and uh, on this journey he was abused uh, physically and emotionally, and uh, I found myself just a few days ago weeping as I was reading this book because... It, it spoke to my heart about kind of where we are as a nation right now, struggling to, to find our own identity. And so, again, I love to read, and um, I wanted to bring these books in because I, I, found, them to, I found them to be very apropos uh, uh, to today. And I think it's important for us to really be focusing on the root cause of the problems that we're facing instead of just trying to treat the, the symptoms. I love that. I, I love it. And we have to take a break. But I really like the idea that, um, you know, normally we, do, we, we have, you know, elected officials come on and we, we just talk about, you know, what's going on at the county, what, you know, what the problems are, how do we solve them. But I think this approach to taking these real life situations and the books that, you know, you're reading and having just a real discussion um, about identity, about all these things. And uh, pointing out, too, that it's actually a book that you hold with your hands. It's not a, you're not reading from a tablet these days. So you've actually you enjoy holding the paper and turning the actual pages. I'm old school. That's how I grew up. That's what I still like. <laughs> Very good. All right. So we're here with uh, Fresno County Supervisor Nathan Magsig, President-elect uh, Brian Dominguez um, of the Fresno Association of Realtors. Uh, and we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Kim Huckabee filling in this week for your host, Don Scordino. Who knows where he is? Just kidding, Don. <laughs> I hope you're listening in. Uh, today we're talking with Fresno County Supervisor Nathan Magsig. Um, and here with me uh, co-hosting today is a local broker, a realtor, president-elect of the Fresno Association of Realtors, Brian Dominguez. So welcome back. And Brian, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Well, right before the, the commercial break, 
Nathan was sharing with us uh, about a book that he's reading, Change in the World, and it, there was some identity conversations, a chance in the world, I'm sorry, thank you. Uh, and and coming out of that was a story about an orphan who was struggling with his identity, if I remember right. He kind of started to share with us. And as a real estate show, you know, identity is something we talk about in, in real estate all the time, right? The identity of a, a city, the identity of a county, a, a neighborhood, you kind of get a sense of who you are. That's a and, great point. Uh, the importance of, of that, what that means, right? And in all different aspects of, of life. So why don't you share a little bit more with us about what you're learning and about this, this child's identity or, or confusion with it. Sure. So the author of this book is Steve Pemberton, and it's a, a, a chance in the world. And it, again, is an, an amazing book. It, the book begins uh, in Steve's early life, and uh, he has early childhood memories growing up in, in foster families. And it is, it's challenging to read the first few chapters because it talks about the abuse that he endured as uh, a boy and, and not knowing who his family was. And so eventually he ends up at uh, the Robinson home and uh, he's abused there for over 10 years before he's able to be moved uh, by the foster system out. And uh, as you read through the book, it talks about how eventually he uh, goes on this journey to figure out who his father and mother were and uh, his father had passed away and uh, he finds out that the last name that he has isn't the the right last name his real last name was Pemberton and so he finds his siblings he had I believe uh, four brothers and uh, one sister and he eventually finds them but is disappointed his whole life he had grown up dreaming about finding his family and thinking that his family would embrace him with open arms but what he found was that his siblings, too, experienced much strife in their life. And um, when they met together, there was an embrace between all of them. But because of the hurts of their life that they carried with them, it also caused a divide between him and some of his siblings even after they met. And so Steve is left with disappointment and his hope that his identity would be able to be fully defined and found in his family uh, was wrong. And so Steve, of course, had to make his own way, but the struggles of abuse, the struggles of disappointment with his own family helped create him into a stronger person and someone who became very successful in life. And so it's an amazing book to me because as I look at our country, as I look at our community here locally, we're struggling right now too. You turn on the TV, you read the newspaper, and you know you have uh, parties pitted against each other. Um, we have uh, people who, you know, are, are white and African-American and Asian. It seems like for whatever reason, there's different groups being pitted against one another. And really, we're forgetting our true identity. And at the end of the day, we are family. Our community is our family. And we need to be, we need to be spending more time trying to find out about one another and understand one another as opposed to just identifying what differences we have and then mm -hmm. fighting over those. So yeah. this book has really been speaking to my heart. And uh, as I shared before the break, I found myself weeping um, uh, this past week as I was reading it because it really a chance in the world identifies how all of us are trying to find our place in this world. And really that's the meaning of life. Right. And, and isn't that like, the meaning of being an American, right? We, I mean, it's what we, really that is our freedom. And you actually shared a quote a little bit ago that um, hopefully we can find again. But yeah, when we're talking about core values and identity, um, 
it really resonates. Like you just said, you know, we turn on the TV, you read the newspaper, we look at homelessness, um, you know, all these, you know, bailouts, these mandates. We just, we're living in a world with so much turmoil. What have you learned from this book that you can, you know, transfer over into every, your, the work that you do? Sure. Great question. And I'll share with you. So, um, I believe elected officials need to focus on the root cause of problems and elected officials are, are great at throwing money at problems. And, and really what they're doing is just attempting to treat symptoms. But until we really get at the root cause of what is causing many of the problems in our communities today, we will never solve them. So another book that I mentioned that I'm reading is uh, uh, called If You Can Keep It by Eric Metaxas. And one of the quotes, which I thought was so great, um, or, or one of the statements in here by Oz uh, Guinness, it's uh, called the Golden Triangle of Freedom. It says that freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith, and faith requires freedom. And so to me, as I'm reading this book and also reading the book by Steve Pemberton, A Chance in the World, much of the breakdown uh, in society today is because we are moving away from those virtues which has made us great as a country. And when that happens, there's nothing government can do to fix uh, those problems. So really, I, I look at, um, when I think about virtue, those things which are good, ultimately, neighbor needs to be helping neighbor. We need to be going uh, and being involved in our community. I think about homelessness. I think about the nonprofits that exist trying to deal with the, the, the challenges that we have. And more and more people are becoming disconnected, and they have an expectation that somebody else will get involved uh, to help the homeless person. Fewer and fewer people are going to church these days, and it's almost like the you know uh, something we saw happen in Europe 150 years ago, where they became disconnected from a lot of churches, and really there was a breakdown there as well. I'm looking at that kind of happening here mm -hmm. in the United States today, and it concerns me. So when I think about the freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith, and faith requires freedom. Um, I look at the mandates right now that are coming out of both uh, the state and Washington, D.C., and those mandates reduce the freedoms that we have. And mandates don't fix anything, but they do reduce freedoms. But with the freedoms that we have in this country, it requires great responsibility, and people no longer today want to be responsible. I look at the breakdown of the family unit. Fortunately, I got to grow up with a loving mom and dad, but here in Fresno County, I know that we've got about 2,800 kids in the foster care system, many of which uh, have grown up or are growing up, and they'll never know their mom and dad, and this damages their identity. And back to the book by Steve Pemberton, this is how he grew up, and he was um, one of the fortunate where um, through all this difficulty and strife, he took that, and he was able to help... Uh, uh, mold that it didn't define him but it made him into a stronger person but there are so many people who are broken on this road and life was not meant children were not meant to be raised in brokenness and pain and strife and there are consequences mm -hmm. for that so to me these books that i was reading this week were really speaking to my heart about the challenges that we are facing as a nation and the fact that many people have an expectation that government can fix this but at the end of the day, how this gets fixed is with you and me. We have to become engaged. Government cannot fix this. Well, and so, on, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. 
Um, so many good nuggets we don't get to get into yet. I know. After the break, I guess. I right. know. We'll save that one, Brian. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to Welcome Home Radio, KYNO, 940 AM. We'll be right back after this commercial break. I'm proud of the house we built. It's stronger than steel. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Kim Huckabee filling in this week for your host, Don Scorvino. And today we're talking with Fresno County Supervisor Nathan Magsig and Brian Dominguez of the Fresno Association of Realtors and local realtor and broker. Welcome back. Thanks for listening in. All right. We're going right, we to get some great conversation. Some of this a little deeper, some of these nuggets that we were hearing about before the, the commercial break. So, you, I mean, I, you talked about identity and family and, and the brokenness of our, our country. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about some of the isolation I think that's happened over the last couple of years with the pandemic, how that's affected and, you know, in real estate, it's very relationship based. And we've realized that we've had to try to maintain relationships with technology and, and Zoom. And, and I wonder if, if that isolation of, of community, it, um, you know, contributes to some of people's ability to, to be together and start to build relationships and find people that are supportive if they don't have that in their nuclear family and mentors and ways to get involved in their community. And, find a pathway out of a, a troubled childhood. So what are your thoughts on kind of getting back to um, celebrating what we have in common versus being divided? I think we, we absolutely need to do that. And really the, the only way that can be accomplished is physically when we are together. You mentioned how you know technology is being used more and more. And during this pandemic, we found ourselves on, on Zoom uh, an entire year uh, in the classroom in the classroom was spent where teachers were talking and communicating to students uh, through a, com a computer screen and people weren't able to be together, but there are consequences for that. And while advances in technology are great, there is no substitute for being able to be with someone physically. And really back to schools, teachers being able to teach in the classroom, the dynamic that's created where you have your peers, you're with your peers and discussions can take place together um, learning takes place best when you're in that type of environment. So um, a lot of that's been lost. And mm -hmm. I was talking to my friend not that long ago uh, about how habits can change over the course of about 66 days. And when the pandemic, the pandemic first hit and the, the governor said, you know, we're going to kind of stop everything for two weeks, and then it was two months, and now it's been two years. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of habits have been changed. Uh, depression is way up. Yeah. Uh, kids, a lot of kids have contemplated suicide and this separation, there are consequences from that separation. And so I, I do believe that we need to recognize that the, uh, from this pandemic, COVID is a terrible thing and it's, it's people have lost their lives with it. But there are consequences and additional fallout that's not being talked about. And kids are really uh, carrying the brunt mm -hmm. of the brunt of that. Right. And I mean, you know, those of us that are lucky to have good support systems and, uh, you know, friends, family, all of that stuff. That's great. But don't we all have a responsibility too to be looking out for these kids? I mean, and, you know, you were talking about foster care a little bit. It's pretty hard to check in on Zoom. You know, who's looking out? And teach you, you think about the classroom a lot of times that takes the place of a family right mm -hmm. those teachers the staff all that kind of stuff Nathan you are obviously a community leader in your church you you know lead the county you're you're everywhere um, how does this inspire you how does it change your leadership 
Well, I will, I will say that my, my heart breaks for what I'm seeing, and I also recognize that um, at the end of the day, while God has given me unique gifts um, uh, of leadership and in other areas, I alone cannot fix this. So part of me is overwhelmed by what I see and my heart breaks, but I also know I've seen how God has worked in my own life. I've experienced my own tragedies where I've felt alone, the loss of my father in a, in a tragic accident, the brokenness of my family when I was growing up as a, you know, as a kid. And um, so I carry those experiences with me. I can tell you that the prayer that I have for myself is that the hurt that I have in my own life, that the Lord can transform that and give me the ability to provide comfort to others who may be experiencing similar things. So as a leader, um, I am overwhelmed, but I have seen the great things that God can do when I allow myself um, uh, to be open to what God wants me to do today. So I try not to get hung up on all the challenges Mm -hmm. I see, and my prayer daily is, God, allow me to be salt and light, just like in Matthew 5, you uh, you ask us to be, uh, he, he tells his disciples to be salt and light in the world. And I believe that if more of us took that perspective and we wanted to make change, recognizing that alone we can't change everything, but we may be able to make a difference to the people we interact with daily, and that might be a dozen people, there's a ripple effect. And so that's the perspective that I bring as I face challenges day in and day out. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I, th- I was actually just thinking you've already accomplished it just by bringing you know this conversation here to the radio show today. You've inspired me. I'm sure you too, Brian, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have a, a part to play. There's a piece. We just got to stop talking just about the politics and just about what's wrong, but having these deeper conversations. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think it's okay to acknowledge you know the tragedy tragedy and triumph and you know every successful leader typically there's there's stories that help build that person that make them who they are today and part of that is going through challenging times crisis with your identity or 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 what but having the ability to um kind of go forward with a vision right not only for yourself but maybe the people that you're serving so i'm i'm sure as a leader um your inspiration comes from somewhere you mentioned you touched on god a little bit and and your purpose his purpose for your life but how do you see yourself um, building and sharing a, a vision for the constituents that you serve in the community you live and work in? That is a great question, and that actually brings me to my third book I'd like to touch on that I'm reading about uh, Ulysses S. Grant, and uh, I'm not completely done with this book. I'm about halfway through with it, but what I've found is uh, that many leaders hold their imperfections inside and don't talk about them, but there is more strength de- uh, uh, derived by sharing um, the challenges, the imperfections of a leader um, with the public because it makes you more relatable. In this book that I'm reading about Grant, and, and many times when we read history books and we think about uh, President Lincoln, George Washington, we don't realize that, that and really think a lot about the challenges that they faced when they uh, grew up and were developing as a leader as well. And in this book about Grant, he, of course, was uh, um, in the service, left the service in the 1850s, and lived uh, in, in, in abject poverty. He was selling firewood to be able to make ends, uh, ends meet. And when the, the Civil War broke out and he wanted to re-enlist, and he did, he moved through the ranks. And he, uh, his character, he had character 
uh, which really drove him to always move forward. And, and in different battles that he faced and the troops that were under his command, he always looked for opportunities to move forward where many other commanding officers in the Union Army wanted to build entrenchments and weren't as interested as moving forward, but to protect the ground that uh, they were responsible for. And so in, in learning about Grant and also learning about Lincoln through this book too, Lincoln uh, was close to really losing his reelection bid in 1864. Uh, as I, uh, I had forgotten about that. When I think about Lincoln, I think about him being one of the greatest presidents. Uh, really, he barely won the election in 1860. And then in 1864, you know, I just remember the, the Civil War was winding down. But when you get into the nuances, in 1864, in the summer, things weren't going so well. Um, there was, I believe it was the Battle of Cold Harbor, where 7,000 Union uh, troops were, were slaughtered, the papers were saying. Um, the, the North was uh, uh, becoming very leery of what was taking place with the Civil War because of the amount of Union casualties that were out there. There were a lot of people within Lincoln's own party that were talking about running against him for the presidency uh, for that election that was coming up. And so there was a lot of strife. But because Grant continued to move forward and it, it became more clear to the North by really September of 1864 that they were going to be successful, everybody rallied around Lincoln. But it's during those times as a leader where you feel like the whole world has turned against you, where your character uh, really comes out. Mm -hmm. And some of the great leaders that we read about, learn about today, we only read and learn about the great things they've done, and we forget about the times where, in this case, the, the North kind of turned their back or was turning their back on our president. But he was doing things that he believed were principled, and um, he stayed on that path. And because of that, he's remembered for the great things that he's done. So with leadership today and, and, and myself, with the things that I attempt to do, I try to, keep, I try to keep things in perspective. I don't have all the answers, but I know as we work together, we can get through many of these challenges. And sometimes when I face detractors that are out there, um, and I'll tell you one, one challenge that I'm facing right now, um, uh, I look at here in Fresno County, we have many different competing interests and one issue that's come up over, uh, over and over again, and I was in the Los Angeles Times for this last week, is um, there's a group that wants to change the name of Squaw Valley. And uh, this group identifies that name as being uh, very offensive. And with the studying that I've done over the course of the last year, and, and as I've talked to the community, um, I think that if the group that wants to change the name is willing to sit down with the residents of Squaw Valley, I think that uh, that's how the best outcome can be mm -hmm. created. Because as I've looked at that particular name and how it came about, I have some people in that community that tell me that the Native Americans were involved in the process to, to give that name to that region. And so um, I'm torn. I'm torn because I'm being put under a lot of pressure. I'm being called a lot of mean names. But at the end of the day, I believe the best path forward is for the community to have their, vo their voice heard. So while this is just a small example of, of something I face, when I look at the bigger challenges that leaders of old have had to face and how they've been true to their identity and their principles, I want to emulate that as much as possible. So oh, this is a great point. You have to think about all the types of decisions that a our elected leaders um, have to make. And a lot of times they're not popular to everyone. 
the amount of courage that it takes to do to do what you think is right and you believe is right um, is pretty incredible. I wonder, you know, we, you, you all, sorry guys, I'm getting flustered. This, it's just, the subject really resonates because we have these elections and, you know, it's, we see a lot of elected officials just making decisions that are popular because they've got to run. And I think it's, you know, where we find the most value and success when we have leaders that can make these hard, unpopular decisions and have the courage to do so and take longer. You know, you're really thinking about the problem, like this issue with Squaw Valley. You're not taking a position that day. You're reading about it. You're thinking about it. You're having conversations. And that's what we need more of. And we get so much information from sound bites and posts and, you know, such short snippets of of quote unquote data that may or may not be biased. So it really, it's kind of almost a lost art for some people to go back and really research what the, what the true different variables of the issue are to really formulate an opinion. It's much easier in 20 minutes to kind of scroll through or, uh, you know, read some headlines and can, and then form an opinion. But I think the important part of part of what you said was really important was having the conversation with the people that are affected letting their voice kind of be here, providing an event, an environment where um, people can have a conversation about it, that, that, allows all the perspectives to be shown and then come up ultimately with with the right answer so that's that's an interesting process so issues. with this last week with these three books that uh, i'm currently thumbing through and reading through uh, it's it's reinforced just the uh, importance that as as an elected official as elected leaders we need to have principles that uh, we stand for and to your point about sound bites or making decisions that are are popular, that will only get you so far. And and long term, if you look at at the local level, especially our cities and counties, if we want to build cities and counties that are going to be sustainable, that are going to thrive into the future, there needs to be a shared vision. And so what these these books have kind of reinforced to me about identity is in elected officials, you need to know what they stand for and where they're going. And if they can't articulate that very clearly, um, and if their record doesn't point to what they say they stand for, um, we're ahead for some scary times. And that's so much more important than political affiliations. And I, and I think most Americans are moving that way. They could care less about the real party politics. It's this meeting in the middle, you know, and identifying with those you have shared values and a shared identity with. Yeah. yeah the, oftentimes, you know, conversations with people you think are opposing parties or beliefs, you know, you ultimately find out you have a lot more common ground, right? We have a lot more in common maybe than we give ourselves credit for sometimes. And so when I think about cities and, and planning and, you know, we've talked earlier about offline about Clovis and the importance of a shared vision and when you're doing a general plan or a master plan and you're creating physical spaces that have an impact on how people gather and how they feel and how they interact in real estate. I mean, for me, that's, it's kind of brought alongside a, another dimension of why I love what I do is because there is this intersection of shared vision, planning, creating neighborhoods and space, and it affects values, but it affects families. It affects identity. It affects all the things that we've been, we've been talking about. So it's kind of a unique industry in that way. That's true. You know, when you, home ownership, I mean, that really is like the ultimate, you know, when you get to that place, it's the investment in the community, and then that becomes your identity, right? 
And you think about values and um, having a vision and goals that you're that you're striving for. And you mentioned Clovis. What I what I love about Clovis is if you look back uh, 50, 60 years, you can see a shared vision that that council had for growth and development. If you look at Clovis Unified School District, when when that school district was formed in 1960, there was the same thing: shared vision and values. And um, um, Clovis Unified has these pillars uh, that that the the school district stands for, and all the kids can articulate those different pillars that the school stands for. And um, I think too, our cities need to have something similar to that as well. And Clovis has been successful because it's had a shared vision, not just for one or two terms, but for decades. And what's challenging today is uh, term limits are kind of a more recent phenomenon that have come about here in the last 30 years. Uh, and you look at uh, many cities that have, uh, they may have elected officials in place for uh, eight years at most. And so with that, you constantly have a new uh, crop of elected officials coming through who have new ideas. They want to they leave a mark. And the vision changes over and over again. And you're left with a community that's never able to really move to the next level. And so I, the public really needs to be thinking about these things. They, they, they need to be looking at themselves as well. And what, you know, I, I, I ask myself every day, what do I stand for? You know, are my principles uh, that I have, are they making a difference? And I think as we do that and we choose to elect people to hold office, they need to have these, these, the, the vision and the values that are going to help move our communities to the next level. And that touches on an important point about getting involved, too, as citizens, right? Constituents having the ability to, to get involved um, in the community and, and the issues that they're passionate about so that they're, they're able to contribute to that shared vision, right? I, I think, you know, oftentimes we look to leaders to help kind of guide it, but it's also important for leaders to look to the constituents they serve to get their input, too, right? I'm fully aware of the fact. I look at my role as an elected, and um, I serve at the pleasure of the public. And the way that our government is created in the United States, uh, we are a government by the people and for the people. We're not a government that's created to lord over the people. We serve at their pleasure. And the, the public needs to look at their, their government the same way, too, and demand that elected officials operate in that manner. Mm-hmm. You, I, I don't know if it was before the break, but we were talking about, um, I think, one of these books, you know, history repeating itself and the lessons we can learn you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Absolutely. So again, I look at um, what was tearing the country apart in, um, in 1860, kind of leading up to the Civil War. And, and really, it was uh, uh, in the South, you had states' rights versus a stronger uh, federal government. And uh, you had slavery, which is front and center as well, leading up to the, the Civil War. And so I look at where we're at today, and I look at politics, Republicans, Democrats, um, the uh, daily you're hearing from different sides, you know, did we uh, beat the president to up today on the, this agenda that he's pushing? And then on the other side, cram down uh, his agenda down the throat of, of Republicans. And why why don't we just talk that we, we are Americans? Mm -hmm. And if uh, debate is important, we absolutely need to debate. But let's focus more on issues and less on tearing each other apart. And uh, as, as I look at that, I can share with you my own philosophy. I believe the national debt's out of control, $30 trillion. Um, we need to get our spending in order. 
Um, there's lots of things that I could talk about in regards to that, but it's it almost seems like the focus is on tearing each other apart and not having a common goal to advance this country mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, and with that, we've got to go to commercial break, and I do want to get into some issues when we get back. Um, all right, so we're here with uh, Fresno County Supervisor Nathan Magsig. We've got to take a quick break. Quick break. Thank you for listening to Welcome Home Radio, KYNO, 940 AM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. Filling in this week for your host, Don Scordino. Today we're here talking with uh, Fresno County Supervisor Nathan Magsig, and we have Brian Dominguez co-hosting with me uh, today. I promised we would get into some issues. We've had some really, I think, thoughtful, inspiring um, conversation. But we do got, we have to dive into some issues and maybe housing. Brian, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, well, you know, um, Supervisor Magsig's experience with the Cure, right, and, and your background reading through your bio, your housing issues is something that you've not only have talked about, but worked in and got your hands dirty with. So it's kind of curious. We've got a housing shortage in, in our state and, and locally we're struggling with inventory and, and getting new builds online and getting through the planning process and all of the things that, you know, there's some barriers and some bottlenecks for all of that. So I was just kind of curious if you wanted to touch on a little bit about your thoughts um, coming from your experiences and, and now as an elected. Uh, so I'll tell you that uh, here in the Central Valley, we have one of the richest regions in the world when it comes to not only fertile soil, but if you look at our Sierra, we have tens of millions of trees in the Sierra. In 2019, we had roughly 140 million trees that had died over the course of about six years. And so uh, talking about housing, one of the things, unfortunately, through policy decisions that the state and federal government has done is they've shut a lot of our timber mills down Uh, here in the Central Valley. And the reason that's so important to note is uh, one of the most critical components to housing construction is lumber. And a lot of the lumber which helped to build this region, the state, and neighboring states was the timber that came out of our mountain areas. When all of that was shut down, um, we began to import a lot of our uh, timber from, you know, uh, other states, from Canada, other nations. And that, of course, what we've seen last year, lumber at one point uh, went up almost eightfold and really, uh, one thing that bothers me is we could, we could be using the wood in our Sierra right now, but unfortunately, with all the trees that are dying, uh, we're having these massive forest fires that not only are, are destroying our forests, but also are creating terrible air. So one of the solutions is uh, at, at the state level and federal level, they need to change policies. We need to be in our forests actively managing them. We need to save our large growth trees, but... Right now we have way too many trees per acre. So other trees that are choking out some of these larger trees need to be removed. Those trees uh, which can be used for timber should be milled. And uh, we have this great resource that's dying. That's one thing that can be done to, to create materials so we can build more housing. One thing that constrains housing is, is really government policies. When the governor first got elected to office, he talked about the need to build 3 million homes over the course of the eight years that uh, uh, he saw himself being in office. And really, we are building fewer homes today than ever before. That's true. And, and, and that's being driven by, uh, uh, of course, 
material constraints, but also regulation that comes from Sacramento and Washington. I look at CEQA requirements, that's California Environmental Quality Act. I look at laws that have been passed where uh, developers who want to subdivide land are sued constantly. And uh, really, progress is not done through regulation. And unfortunately, we've got way too many laws on the books that make it difficult to do simple things like build housing. So you mentioned that I was involved with, uh, with building homes 20 years ago, and I did that for about 10 years, building affordable housing, and we focused on downtown Fresno. We did over 40 projects in downtown Fresno, and I'm one who believes that the way that you revitalize a, an inner city is through housing. So as you get people back into an inner city, mm -hmm. they, of course, uh, restaurants will follow. And so I spent a decade building affordable housing in downtown Fresno, Madera County, other parts of this county too, because I believe that, that, that the quickest way to generate wealth for people is through home ownership, and you get multiple benefits by building housing, um, selling that housing to low and moderate income families, and I just, I loved doing that. I bet that was very rewarding work. Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you is you were talking about the fires and up in the mountains. Obviously, you were very involved in, in the Creek Fire and getting information out. Um, all the, I have a, my family and I have a small cabin in Shaver, so we, we go up there periodically, and, and I'm starting to see all the logging trucks come down with the charred wood. Is that wood able to, this is a dumb question I'm asking, is the wood able to be used for, for lumber? Or what's happening to all of that burnt wood coming down the mountain? Yeah, so a lot of that wood that's coming down the mountain, um, some of it is used uh, for timber, but some of it's being chipped and then goes to biomass plants. But I'll tell you, if you see it coming off the mountain, that is a good thing, because these large logs... Um, many of them have been cut because they uh, present a fall hazard if they uh, oh. remain standing sure. and they're dead. Um, and so as that material is coming off the mountain, if they're on trucks uh, like that, they're either going to a biomass plant or a, a lumber mill. And that's where this wood needs to be going. Otherwise, it's going to just sit there and rot up in the mountains. Very good. Not to not to cut off the affordable housing conversation, but that entered my mind and I thought I'd ask while we had you here. Yeah. So my next question is, you know, I think you know, throughout the country, you see some communities, in spite of the state and federal regulations, they're able to, you know, find success. And, and how do they do that? How do we do that? You know, again, you're not uh, my personal belief. And I think what's been demonstrated just through time is uh, you don't create success by passing laws. Entrepreneurs are the ones who create success. And so um, uh, some of these communities, you know, we, we think about states like Texas or Florida, um, even Colorado comes to mind or Idaho. It's, it's the, uh, where people are not constrained and they have the ability to uh, take good ideas, um, get loans and build a business around these ideas. They're the ones who create the jobs. So, you know, for me, I'm one, I want to uh, create a pathway for uh, individuals here in Fresno County to be able to take an idea and turn it into a business. And you actually reminded me of something that was done. I serve on uh, the county's retirement system, and we manage a little over $6 billion. And about two and a half years ago, our board decided that we wanted to carve off a small portion it was about $50 million, a lot of money, but uh, small overall compared to how much we manage, and use that money and partner with uh, Royal Bank of Canada to create a fund where loans would be given to uh, people in disadvantaged areas in Fresno County and also to help with affordable housing projects. 
And we have seen um, a, uh, a multiplier effect where I want to say close to 200 projects have been funded in like two and a half years. And hundreds of families have been able to um, be able to move into apartment complexes that wouldn't have been able to be built without this funding stream available to them. Um, I think some business, uh, disadvantaged businesses were able to get access to capital. So things like that need to take place to help fix the problems. But again, regulation, laws, you're, you can't pass a law which is going to pull you out of poverty. Right. And what you just talked about, too, what a great business decision for the county and the employees of the county, right? I mean, it's twofold, the business partnership and then the benefits to disadvantaged communities. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm curious about the relation. So there, is there 15 incorporated cities in the, in the county of Fresno? Yeah, so Fresno County has 15 cities uh, that are that are spread out. And many people forget that. They, they know Clovis. They know right. Fresno. Sometimes they forget about uh, regions like Reedley or Sanger, right. Selma, Fowler, and uh, um, you know many, many others. And two, in addition to that, you have unincorporated communities like Prather, mm -hmm. Aubury, Shaver Lake, Huntington, uh, Squaw Valley, and so Dunlap. We forget yeah. about all these other communities that have identity too, but maybe they're not incorporated. So uh, many great places. The county of Fresno is 6,000 square miles. The district I get to represent is about 2,800. The highest peaks in the county, forests, and then, of course, metropolitan areas. It's very diverse. I actually think, well, and I'm still new to Fresno County, but I think your district is probably the best as far as <laughs> geography. and. Probably not going to get an argument on that I one. I second that motion. <laughs> yeah. What's the relationship with the city and the county in terms of some of these issues? Is there, is there Are there defined roles? Or are you working side by side on a lot of it? Well, we work side by side, but there's definitely defined roles. So the, the 15 cities that are out there, um, they, uh, many of them have their own sewer plants, uh, surface water treatment plants. Um, they have their own, many of them have their own police departments, fire departments. And so uh, cities really are highly concentrated. Uh, you definitely have much more density of housing and population within the, the city areas. So um, at the county level, the county is, uh, we have a Department of Social Services, and that right off the bat is very different than cities. We also have like Departments of Behavioral Health. Uh, we have Departments of Public Health, the Ag Commissioner. And so the county is really responsible for so much more than what the cities do. But when it comes to like building sidewalks, uh, uh, police and fire, uh, incorporated cities for the most part are responsible for that. There are some cities in the county that contract with the county for our sheriff's department to provide law enforcement services. So really uh, uh, cities are uh, a concentrated local government entity but at the end of the day all cities within counties the county is responsible for um, uh, corrections, um, juvenile justice, of course, uh, the district attorney's office is, is under the umbrella of the county. So there's so much more that the county does uh, than, than what cities do. You, br you bring up an interesting point. Thinking You talk, you mentioned sidewalks. So what's the role of infrastructure, do you think, in, in affordable housing and creating cities? Oh, well. And whose responsibility is it? Or maybe that's a tough question. No, it's not a tough, tough question at all. So, so really, um, I, housing, uh, dense housing works best within cities for sure because cities are the ones that have build the sewer plants. Uh, they build parks. Um, they uh, have water systems that they develop. And so, uh, whose you know whose role? Cities 
um, it's the city's responsibility to have a master plan and then build according to that master plan. And those master plans will identify where the parks are going to be, the commercial centers, the housing, the density of housing. And so uh, really, cities should be the ones where most of that growth takes place because in the county, counties don't have um, systems that can provide all those services because sewer plants need to have trunk lines that connect to them. With 6,000 square miles, it's cost prohibitive to have someone who lives 100 miles away from a sewer plant to run a trunk line that 100 miles. And then who's going to maintain it, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we just have a little bit of time left. Supervisor Magzig, I'm going to give you the last word. What do you... you well, first I want to say this. Um, for those of you who are listening, I, I, I recognize there's many realtors that are listening. There are people who are out there looking for housing. And I want to let you know that if you are in the marketplace for a home right now, I would encourage you to reach out to a realtor. Right now, there is, uh, there is so much uh, fraud and individuals who will lead you down the wrong path. But the Realtors Association, which is uh, uh, right here in Fresno County and across the entire state, they have many people who are licensed, trained, they have a code of ethics that they follow, and uh, many, many different realtors right here in your backyard that you can trust. So if you're looking uh, to, to want to sell a home, buy a home, seek out a realtor and they will take care of you. Oh, that's awesome. Real, our realtor champion right there. All right, everyone. I want to thank you both for being here. Brian, thanks for co-hosting. Um, our host, Don Scordino, he'll be back next week. And thank you for listening to Welcome Home Radio.